you know, today's an interesting day. You don't uh, come to Easter and not know what I'm going to talk about. I mean, and some of you, you come to church, but it's just Easter and Christmas. And, and I get it. I know why you don't come back. It's because that pastor's only got two messages. <laughs> come on, somebody. I love Easter. And even though we already know what we're going to talk about, I love Easter because there are those of you that are here today and you have been considering this Christianity thing. You've been considering becoming a follower of Jesus. Maybe you have been watching online or you've been reading a book or you've been coming to church, you're going into a small group or next steps, and you're sitting here this morning and the truth is you're like, I'm ready to take that step. How do I do it? What do I do? Today, Easter is just for you. And I'm going to help you at the end of this service, lead you to the place where God wants you to be. I also love Easter, too, because there are those that are sitting in this service, this experience, and uh, you don't want anything to do, really, with this Christianity thing. Uh, the truth is, you wouldn't be here except your spouse made you come. Your parents told you you had to be here. It's like, come on, there's only two days I'm asking you to go, Easter and Christmas. Can't you help your parents out? You, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe someone has been bugging you at work and you said, look, I'm tired of you asking. I'll go on Easter. Everybody goes on Easter. And you find yourself sitting here this morning. Maybe you're sitting next to that beautiful girl that you've been dating. You don't have a care in the world about Christianity, but she's pretty fine. Come on, somebody. <laughs> he look good. So you're like, you want me to go to church? I'll go to church. And the truth is you're sitting here. And uh, you don't really have a care in the world about Christianity or this whole Jesus thing, but you find yourself sitting in this service. Easter is the one day and the one event that what we see, it actually circumvents all the objections that people have to Christianity. So this is what I mean. For those of you that have never considered Christianity or you're not into this Jesus thing, maybe your arms aren't crossed on the outside, but they're crossed on the inside. Uh, I want you to be challenged today to possibly consider becoming a Christian in spite of the fact that you know some. <laughs> In spite of the fact that you worked for a boss that was one, in spite of the fact that you was married to one, in spite of the fact that you might think that all Christians are hypocrites, in spite of the fact that you prayed a prayer when you were a child and you asked God to save you from a situation or a circumstance and you felt like God did not answer your prayer, in spite of the fact that your mom who passed away was one and you prayed that God would heal her and he didn't, in spite of the fact that you got questions that you want answered that I'll probably never be able to answer and you'll probably never have answered on this side of eternity. I want you to consider through this service becoming a Christian and a Christ follower because Easter circumvents all the objections that you might have to this Christianity and this Jesus thing. And here's the good news. Look, Christianity, the foundation of Christianity, let me tell you, it's not Christian's. The foundation of our Christian faith is not Christian behavior. 
The foundation of our Christian faith is not even answered prayers or questions that we might have. The foundation of our Christian faith is what we celebrate today as we celebrate Easter. It's history's greatest mystery. And Easter addresses something that there is no plausible explanation for. Now, let me explain what I mean. Now, there is no plausible explanation for us sitting here in this school in Rosenberg, Texas, as Christ followers having church. There is no plausible explanation for a third of the world, not only in this nation, but all around the world, singing songs that are similar, worshiping the same Jesus in different languages, all across the world celebrating the life of a Jewish carpenter. There's no plausible explanation for this except what we celebrate at Easter. It's history's greatest mystery. Let, let me, let me kind of give you some examples. Look at one of Jesus's contemporaries. We know Nero. Most of you have heard the name Nero. Nero was a Roman emperor. And if you don't know a whole lot about Nero, one of the things that you probably know about him is the fact that he was brutal to Christians. He used to feed them to lions because he disliked Christians and he would kill them brutally. And so here we have a Roman emperor and we know very little about this man. Yet we all have heard his name, not because of history, but because he's become a footnote in the story of Christianity. A Roman emperor, a footnote. Look at Caesar Augustus. He is the Roman emperor who founded Rome, ruled for 40 years. But I bet if I asked anybody in this room to tell me one accomplishment that he did in his life, I bet you nobody could say and point to one accomplishment. And yet we find ourselves hearing the name Caesar Augustus, not because of his accomplishments, not because he established Rome, not because of his great feats, but because he is a footnote in the story of Christmas at the birth of a Jewish carpenter in Bethlehem. Wow. I mean, that mind-blowing. When you think about Christianity, I don't know if you know this, we get the benefit of the Bible today, but there was no Bible for at least 300 years after Jesus died. There was no New Testament. So you think about the followers of Jesus who continued in the way the disciples that multiplied and spread to the ends of the earth. There was not somebody standing on a stage and saying, let's turn to the book of John. There was nobody saying, let's turn to the book of Matthew or Ephesians or Acts. It was none of that. It was simply followers leading the way. How does a movement propel itself with no New Testament, with no Bible? How does a movement survive against Rome and Judaism? Roman Empire was brutal to Christians, and Judaism looked at Christianity as a sort of knock-off cult. And so they teamed together to stomp out Christianity, at which time was called the way. And now today, there is no Roman Empire. And when you look at Judaism, Christianity has Far surpassed. You have way more Christians today than Orthodox Jews or Jews in general. And so you see the rise of Christianity in a way that doesn't make sense. It's history's 
greatest mystery. Now, what's not a mystery is how religions begin. What's not a mystery is how movements are formed and fashioned. In fact, there are people that study how movements begin. There are people that study how does a religion actually begin. And when you look at the rise of nations and movements and religions, they're all pretty similar. They all have kind of the same patterns. They have the same similarities. And the challenge in it is, look, you begin to see unrest. There's this unrest in a city. There's unrest in a nation. You begin to see factions rise up against each other, one on one side, one on another. And then all of a sudden you see a charismatic leader begin to rise to the scene and begin to articulate maybe injustices, maybe an ideology. And people who hear the message say, wow, that resonates with me. I believe what you're saying. I can grab a hold of what you're saying. You're saying things that I'm feeling. And so you see this champion rise in culture. And then they introduce change. You begin to see change is tough at first, but then the populace gets behind the change. You see a passing of an old guard to a new guard, and the revolution has begun. This is something that we've seen. The hero rises in fame, rises in the movement. But then what we also see in these movements is that eventually the person that everybody looked up to dies, passes away. And then what happens? The people love the teachings. The people love the ideology. And so they refuse to allow what that person shared, the thoughts, the concepts, the phrases, to die. So you see a mass of people begin to rally behind these concepts and move them forward. And we see this all the time. That's how societies are changed. That's how religions are birthed. In the case in point, I don't know if you know the story of Islam. Uh, the story of Islam, there was a prophet, uh, Muhammad. It's a fascinating story. Here you have this prophet who surfaces out of the Arab nations and the Arab tribes. And at the time, these tribes actually worshipped idols. They were idol worshippers. And a young leader, this prophet Muhammad, he comes out of a cave having got these real revelations and teachings. He says he got them from God uh, by an angel. And so he begins to share the teachings with his family, begins to share them with his community, begins to share them with society. And then what happens is people rally behind these teachings. And his following grows and grows and grows and grows. And then you begin to see the prophet have an army. And he takes that army. And where the, 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 the tribes now were idol worshipers, he moves them from polytheism to monotheism. Polytheism is the worship of many gods and idols. And the prophet Muhammad says, no, we worship one God. And he moves them down the path and revolution change happens. And he begins to preach a message and write it down in a way that they had never seen before. Very charismatic, very winsome in the way that he communicated. But then what we know is that the prophet Muhammad dies of natural causes. Well, does the movement die with him? No. The people grab the teachings. They grab the ideas. And in fact, there was a division. Some thought that the prophet's son ought to be the leader. Some thought that a charismatic uh, religious leader ought to take the ram. And so there's a divide. And one goes one way. The other goes the other. But the teachings and the ideology continue to spread. And then we see this world religion of Islam. It makes sense. You can understand how it takes place. It's understandable. Now let's 
talk about something in recent times, the civil rights movement. Every one of us are familiar with the civil rights movement. Our country was in unrest and turmoil in the 1950s and 1960s. And African Americans began to cry out for equality and cry out against injustice. And so you begin to see people on both sides of the issue, some for and some against it. And they both deeply held their beliefs. But then you saw a man, thank God for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who stood up and began to articulate values that we are all created equal, that we're not going to judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And then when you look around this morning, we are benefiting from the ideas in a multicultural, multiracial church this morning because a movement was birthed through a man. But then in 1968, what happens? Tragically, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is murdered. Now, did the movement stop? No. No, because the ideas were transcendent. People rallied behind them and said, we appreciate that he articulated it, but we believe these values and we're going to move forward in these values. And the civil rights movement, thank God America woke up. The status quo was left behind, but... But it makes sense. We can understand that story. We can understand the pattern of that movement. Now, when you take that same pattern, when you take those same uh, systems and thought processes of a movement and the birthing of a religion all throughout history, and you transpose it over the story of Christianity, what you have to know is it doesn't make sense. In fact, there's no reputable historian that will say, yes, those principles and the way that happens is how Christianity can be explained. And that's why we call this history's greatest mystery. That the birth of Christianity cannot be explained through the same paradigm. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work to view it through the rise of a movement. Now you say, why not? I'm glad you asked me that question on Easter Sunday. This is why not. Because of Jesus' message. Jesus' message was the problem. See, Jesus' message did not advocate revolution or liberation. Jesus wasn't trying to free this group from that group. He wasn't trying to start a revolt in Rome. He wasn't trying to overturn the status quo or to start something new. In fact, there were times when the followers would come up and say, Jesus, what do we do with Rome and Caesar? And you know the story. Jesus said, pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Then people would rise up and they'd say, well, what about your kingdom? Are you going to come in and overthrow Rome? And Jesus said, no, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not here to overthrow Rome. I've got a kingdom that you know nothing about. So when you look at it, he's not introducing a revolution. He's not introducing this revolutionary thought or idea. And even as far as Judaism, you know, when you look at Judaism and you say, well, they would accuse him. Jesus, you're trying to introduce some kind of new teaching. Jesus would always go back to them and say, no, no, I affirm the law. He affirmed that the law came through God. And in fact, if he didn't do anything, he actually created and raised a higher standard from God's law. So think about it. He said, no, not only do you not murder, I don't want you to hate 
Not only do you not commit adultery, but I don't want you to lust. And so Jesus built on this foundation the principles of the kingdom. He wasn't trying to introduce a revolution. And here's another problem with Jesus' message. Jesus' message was all about Jesus. He was at the center of this message. He never asked people to follow his ideas. He never asked people, like, like when I say follow, he never asked them to trust in them. Like, look, I'm asking you to trust my ideas. They work. They're great. They're awesome. No, no. The problem with Jesus' message, it wasn't I want you to trust in these ideas. I need you to trust in me. I am the idea. I am at the center of this movement. And so it wasn't an ideology. It wasn't principles. It wasn't notions of good living. It was the fact that Jesus was at the center of the message. And it makes Christianity unexplainable other than the fact that we celebrate the resurrection. Jesus was the message. Let me, let me give you an example. Look at the Peter. Uh, he gives a confession. You got Jesus and the disciples. They're heading down towards this town called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, Jesus is talking to them and says, hey, who do you say that I am? He's, he's asking them the question. It's, it's about me. All this is about me. I need you to get it. Who do you say that I am? And then we have Peter. We love Peter. How many love Peter? Water walker and puts his foot in his mouth, but at least he's the one that's going to talk. And look at what he says. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Like, Jesus, it's all about you. You are the one. And look, Jesus didn't say, hold up, Peter. Wait, slow your roll. Slow your roll. It's not about me. No, no, no. No, he actually affirms Peter, and he says, look, it's not because of flesh and blood you understood that. It's because of my father. He actually revealed it's all about me. I am the Messiah. I am the son of the living God. That's pretty powerful. Then you look at another example. You got John the Baptist. Love John the Baptist. You know, he was called to prepare a way for Jesus and so Jesus, before he begins his public ministry, goes to get baptized by John at the Jordan River. And John looks at Jesus and he sees him. Now, notice what John doesn't say. He doesn't say, behold the man who would tell us about the Lamb of God. He doesn't say, behold the man who would tell us about your sins and maybe how to get them forgiven. Look at what John actually says as a witness to Jesus. He says, behold the Lamb of God. He is the one. This whole thing, and John is pointing back. People tried to point to John. John, are you one of the great? John's like, no, no, no. I got to decrease so that he increases. The message is and always has been and always will be about Jesus. He says, the one that takes away the sin of the world. It's not about Jesus' ideas. That's not why he was crucified. It's about the fact that it all pointed back to him. He was the center of the message. This is far different than any other religion that has ever been birthed in a movement. Look at Lazarus. Most of you know the story of Lazarus. If you're new to Christianity, I encourage you to go look it up. It's an amazing story. Jesus is preaching and teaching, and his friend Lazarus gets sick. So sick that the sisters send a messenger and say, Jesus, you got to come and heal Lazarus. He's sick. He's going to die if you don't come. And Jesus says, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to wait. Here's the challenge, right? Jesus waited until Lazarus dies. 
I mean, what kind of friend is that? I mean, I can imagine John the writer saying, yeah, probably not going to put that one in there right now. Come on, somebody. Like, to be continued. Well, we know what happens. Jesus gets there a little bit late, and Mary and Martha, they said, Jesus, if only you would have been there, our brother wouldn't have died. Now, isn't that the same story that many of us have told you? Jesus, if you would have been there, my marriage wouldn't have ended in divorce. Jesus, if you'd have been there, my child wouldn't have ended up in prison. Jesus, if you'd have been there, I wouldn't have lost my house and my car. Jesus, if you'd have been there, I wouldn't have lost my business. But I need you to know, just like he was for Lazarus, he is today. He's never late. He is always right on time. And the resurrection power of God can resurrect your situation. And so what does he say? I, I love it. He points back to himself. Look at John eleven twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. He didn't ask his followers to believe in the ideas, the principles, the concepts. He asked his followers to believe in him. So the problem with Christianity at this point is Jesus's message. He was the message. So think about this now. We watched The Passion of the Christ. I mentor a group called The Fellowship and I had them come over to my house this week, and we watched it. And it's amazing because you watch the story. Sometimes we read this in the Bible, and we forget they're people just like us. See, we read it in hindsight. We celebrate what they experienced at that time, and we can experience now in this time spiritually. But think about those disciples. If Jesus was the message, the movement died when Jesus died. Have you thought about that? That's why Christianity doesn't make sense. You didn't see the disciples pick up this teaching and say, Woo, we're going to run. I'm bold. I'm courageous. That's not at all what happened. The story of the disciples is they were cowards. They ran. Jesus gets arrested. Everybody's gone. Like, yo, 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 I ain't going to prison. Come on, somebody. I'm going to watch you from afar. And then you had Peter. We just talked about Peter. Look at Peter. He's the one that said you're the Messiah. Think about it. He has the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet, at the darkest hour, instead of believing that the Messiah would do what he said, which is not only die but rise again, look at what Peter does. He denies Jesus. And I wonder if not we are much like Peter. That in our darkest hour, see on a Sunday like this, we confess you as Lord. We say you're amazing. But then I begin to walk through the prison of life, the problems of life. And then we say, well, God, where are you? You must not be real. And we see the disciples. It's, it's written in the, in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them, they all have the same story. They all ran away. They were all afraid. In fact, one uh, in, in Acts, it talks about the disciples were in a room for fear of the Jewish leaders. Were they afraid of? The Messiah has died. I mean, see, think about this. To them, Messiahs don't die. The Son of God cannot be killed. Can you imagine? To them, you cannot crucify the resurrection and the life. And yet, with their very eyes, they see he is crucified. Why was Jesus crucified? Because he willingly laid down his life as a lamb so that we today, 2,000 years from that event, could receive salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. Nobody took Jesus' life. He laid it down. 
But you can imagine the disciples. They're confused. They're perplexed. Like, like, can't you see? Like, I heard all the good stuff. I saw the miracles. But when Jesus said, look, I'm going to suffer and die. They're going to kill me. How many know they kind of just tuned it out? Anybody ever tuned out your parents? You're like, they're talking, but I ain't listening. Anybody ever tuned out your spouse? You're like, oh, it's good. Woo. Somebody, can you imagine? Like, Jesus, no, no, no. Then he starts saying, I'm going to die. They're like, wah, 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 wah. And yet he began to speak and tell them the things that were going to happen. It wasn't a mystery. And yet here we are, a man whose message was all about him, a movement that was different than any other, a religion that is birthed differently than any other. It wasn't about an idea. It was about him. How can we sit in this sanctuary, in this place, not only in Rosenberg, Texas, but around the world as Christ followers worshiping the same God in different languages, singing similar songs? How is it that if Easter's not real, we're doing what we're doing today? Easter solves History's greatest mystery. Look at John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. I just want to show you how it unfolds. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Imagine this. Mary, she was one of the closest, the one that loved Jesus. She didn't say, wow, Jesus is gone. Resurrection. Break out the the dance and the party. No, no, no. Her assumption is that the Jewish leaders took his body. There was no mentality. This is what we have to see. The mentality when he died was not like, wow, he's done it. It's like, oh, my God. We gave our life to something that's not real. How does a Messiah die? And look at what happens. She goes to tell the disciples, says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So in other words, look, we were just, there's doubt, there's unbelief. We we don't believe. And then look, John, he goes on, he says, so Peter and the other disciples started towards the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple, we know this is John the Beloved outruns Peter and reaches to the tomb first. He bends over, looks into the tomb for the strips and the linen. They're lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter, the one that denied Jesus, comes along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still laying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And now look at what happens. Now John believed. Now isn't it interesting that we see John believing not when miracles took place. We didn't see John believe when the teachings were taking place. We didn't see John believe at the crucifixion. We see John believe when he saw an empty tomb. And now what happens is you begin to see faith arise. And we know that later what would happen over the next 40 days, Jesus in his resurrected body would show himself to more than 500 disciples and begin to teach them about concepts and precepts and and, and things that he wanted them to do and the commission and where they were supposed to go and how they were supposed to do it. And so Jesus would be shown to them in person. And Jesus, when we look at his followers, they did not 
re-engaged because of something Jesus taught. They re-engaged because it's something they saw. They saw Jesus. Think about this, the resurrection and the, the message of the resurrection. That was the message of the early church. I mean, Luke recorded the events and explains things that began to happen in Jerusalem. You can imagine, you have the disciples. Jesus has died. He has been crucified. He's been in the tomb, but now he's not there. Can't you imagine that the religious that were trying to stomp out Christianity, had they been able to produce Jesus' body, they would have. But that's not what happened. They never produced his body. And then you begin to have these disciples, not just one, not just two, not just three, but more than 500 people say the same thing. I saw him. Who did you see? That man they crucified on the cross that was on the hill, Golgotha. They said he was dead, but I saw him. You saw him? I saw him. You saw him? I saw him. So much so that Peter, the coward, now has courage to stand up in front of thousands Imagine, imagine the same man that was a coward in front of a teenager now has the courage to preach in front of thousands. What has changed? They saw him, the resurrection, the life, wasn't a teaching, wasn't a concept, wasn't an idea. Jesus was the message. And the early church, that's how the church spread. It wasn't because we read out of the Gospels, which is awesome. It's because of the testimony that my God is alive. He's not dead. He's alive and well and here in this place. I mean, it's very interesting. You know, I'm a pastor. You would think they begin to preach about love one another, and they talked about it. You begin to think that the message would be, you know, the good Samaritan, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And the message might be the Beatitudes. These are all great teachings and ideas that Jesus shared through parables. But that wasn't the message. The message of the early church, look at what it was. It's really four basic points. You killed him. How would you like to be in that congregation? You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Repent. What do you mean? You killed him. God raised him. He's not dead anymore. We've seen him. Repent. Look at what it says in Acts 3.15. You killed the author of life. This would have been the people that had same city. They're like, what's going on? There's this ruckus. You could just imagine. That's what I loved about that video today just before I stepped on the stage. When I first saw it, I about cried. I had tears in my eyes. Can you imagine? That's, that's what Jerusalem was like. Like Jesus, the healer. He's alive. Really, he's alive. I thought he was dead. He was dead. He's not dead anymore. And this thing that we've been following, this way, this Christianity, it's real. It's so real. Every one of the disciples would die a martyr's death. How do you die for an idea like that? Filleted alive. Can you imagine filleted alive? Like I'm alive, cutting my skin off. Why would you die like that? Because I've seen him. I've seen him. He's alive. Said God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Then he goes on in verse 38. Look, he says, so repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, 
for the forgiveness of your sin. That's why Easter weekend is the best weekend to attend. Easter, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, solves history's greatest mystery. And it leads us to the point that we all must come to. Every one of us are desperate to have our sins forgiven. We're all sinners. The Bible says we were born in iniquity. David in the Psalms said, I was born in iniquity. In sin, I was conceived. So what does it mean from the time you were born? Born that way. You're born with the sickness. And Jesus is the only one who can heal it. That's why your life hasn't made sense. That's why you've been trying to make it happen. Busy. Try not to think about the hole that's inside of your heart, the condemnation and the shame. You know where you were at last night? And guess what? So does God. And guess what? He's glad you're here because there is forgiveness of sin. He knows where you were last month. There's nothing God doesn't know. He's not ashamed of you. God loves you. He's, he loves you so much. He sent Jesus to die a cruel death so that we could be saved and receive forgiveness of sin. I mean, and look, if you're still a skeptic, you don't have to believe this happened just because of the Bible. Believe of, because of the testimony of John and Matthew and Mark and Luke, the testimony of people that were actually there. I mean, think about this. When they tell the story, I don't know about you, but if I'm telling the story, I'm going to tell it like I'm a hero. Come on, somebody. Like, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I always believed. Yeah, I never had any doubt when he died. I was like, yo, 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 that's my man. He's coming back. That's not, no, no. They actually wrote themselves in as cowards. Why would they do that? Because they're not at the center of the message Jesus was. And that's what actually happened. Why would a woman be the one to discover the tomb when women back then didn't even have a voice? You know, if you're going to make this stuff up, let's at least make it someone with authority and power and all the right. No, no, they didn't do it because that's not the way it happened. They accounted what happened factually so that there would be no doubt. I mean, think about their testimony. We believed, and then we didn't. <laughs> we got it wrong, though, because we believed again when we saw him. And that's the story of Easter. That's the story of this movement that we're a part of. Each and every one of us are a part of this movement. And it's one that doesn't make sense apart from Easter. And some of you are here Christians today. I just want to reaffirm your faith in God. I want, to, I want you to walk out of here emboldened. We got this right. 
my prayers are being heard. God cares about me. That we're going to step across into eternity and we're going to celebrate all the things that the church has been able to do on behalf of God. And we're going to see our Lord and Savior face to face. I want to affirm that you got it right. And for those of you that are not a Christian, that's why today's the best day. It's the greatest day that you could be here. Why? Because you get a chance to respond to the power and the presence of God. Easter brings you to a place of decision. You can't walk out of here and just not make a decision. You're making a decision. If you're not a Christ follower, that's okay. You can choose to walk out of here and reject him, or you can choose to embrace what he has done. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works because you can't do anything to earn salvation. Jesus already paid the price. That's the problem with religion. Religion will say, if you do good enough works, you're going to tip this scale and I'm going to slip into heaven. No, 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 you're going to slip right into hell unless you receive by grace through faith the work of the cross. Otherwise, if you had to do good works, you're saying what Jesus did was insufficient. I mean, no, what Jesus did was not insufficient. It was paid in full. So what do you do? You have to just respond. You simply respond. You simply respond. You're in this place. And I wonder if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I feel the presence and the power of God. We're going to go out and we're going to have fun. We're going to hunt some Easter eggs and it's going to be great. But I'm asking for nobody to move in the room right now. Just stay right where you're at. Just give me just two or three more minutes. And what I want to do is if that's you, you're in this place and you said, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Maybe you have never followed Jesus. Maybe you were a skeptic, but you feel the power of God in this place and you're ready now to confess him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you used to be a follower, you fell away, and you want to come back to him. I wonder if in this moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd be willing just to raise your hand, just as an act of surrender, just, just raise it up high. Just say, that's me. I'm ready today to surrender my life to him. Just, just raise it up. Come on, raise it up, raise it up. Yes, 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 yes. You feel the power and the presence of God, yes. Come on, church, tell them how proud you are. Amazing. This morning what I want to do is I just want to lead us in the prayer. The prayer is not what saves you. It's the belief in your heart. I'm going to articulate just just a prayer of surrender that we would say together. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died. You rose again. And today I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Save me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I give you my life. I give you everything. I give you all that I am in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, worship God.